HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a senior producer at the Feed Feed, which is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Mary Ann Esposito. Mary Ann is an Italian specialized chef, home cook, recipe developer, host of the nationally televised PBS series Ciao Italia, and the author of 14 cookbooks. Her newest book, Ciao Italia, Plant Harvest Cook, takes the reader on a seasonal home garden vegetable journey, focusing on simple growing tips for anyone interested in growing their own vegetables and how to cook them Italian style. Thank you so much for being here, Marianne. You have so many accolades and exciting things to talk about, so I'm excited. Well, thank you for having me, Alexa. (laughs) <laughs> Yay. So my goodness, you've got you've been doing this for some time. You're quite a pro. How did this all start for you? Let's take it back to the very, very beginning. Oh where did you where God. did you grow up? Well, I, I grew up in western New York. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fast forward to 1989 is when Ciao Italia started. And uh, that was a long time ago. A public television station that's uh, here in our community. Um, had a cooking studio. And so I moseyed over there and I thought, well, you know, would you like me to do a little cable program for the community? And they said no. And so, you know, I was at that time teaching, writing and traveling in Italy. And I didn't give up, though, uh, because a couple years later, I got a call from this very same TV station saying, you know, we have a new studio now, we can put a kitchen in, we'd like you to do a pilot program. So that's what I did. I did a pilot show for them that took all day and kind of uh, said to me, I don't want to do this because it's too mental, it's too physical. And no, no, it's a bad idea. But the shows that we did do were sent out uh, to the public to see what the reaction would be. And uh, it got pretty good reaction. And I think part of it was because 
people love Italian food. Oh, but yep. But they didn't know what Italian regional food was. That's oh. the difference. And so that's how Ciao Italia has uh, had its longevity for this long because our program is all about, it's not about Italian food. There is no such thing as Italian food. I said mm-hmm. that on my first program. There's only Italian regional food. Gotcha. And that's what started. And here we are Amazing. 30 years later, 30, actually 31 almost. Oh my gosh. Well, congratulations. I don't think many people have, you know, <laughs> been on network television for that long. <laughs> Maybe Rachel Ray. Well, maybe, yes. Uh, Chow Tally is the longest running continuous cooking show in America. My goodness. Well, the, what a, what an amazing thing. I'm so like, look at us. I'm I'm so proud of you. That's amazing. <laughs> you. That's so cool. So you seem to have an Italian background. So you grew up in Western New York where both sides of your family from different areas of Italy or what was your family background there? Well, I lived with my maternal grandmother. She was from Naples. Okay. Didn't speak a word of English, couldn't write. Uh, she was, you know, basically a, uh, a home cook who became a um, a boarding house uh, cook. So our house was turned into a boarding house and she would cook for all these boarders that she had. And then my other grandmother was from Sicily. So we had the Neapolitan and the Sicilian grandmothers, two Southern Italian grandmothers that really didn't get along. Uh, and- <laughs> who both thought that their cooking was the best ever. And oh, there's bless a, them. There, yeah. And there's a story in the book about these two women uh, called the kingdom of eggplant that describes, you know, their fierce uh, disloyalty with each other. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so I grew up in Western New York uh, with the, my Neapolitan grandmother who, you know, kind of influenced a lot of the things that I eventually came to understand. It's kind of like in your DNA uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, just subtly know these food things because you're you're being an observer you're you're also you know you're enjoying the food that they're making you're just subtly learning about these things even if you don't want to and I didn't want to at a very young age okay so Neapolitan food I mean that's I I don't want to pick a region of Italy because every it's hard to say which one's my favorite of the just in restaurants that I've tried but I know I love Neapolitan food. So was she teaching you recipes from a young age or what was that like growing up with her? No, she wasn't teaching me. She was she was cooking and I was cooking with her. Like, oh. you know, she would make bread. I would have to help her. Uh, when she was singeing feathers off of chickens, I would have to help her. When she was skinning tomatoes, I would have to help her. So I, that's how I learned. You learn by doing, not reading in a, something off of a page, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I was immersed in that that uh, type of cooking um, from an early age, and I hated it. I said, that in my, <laughs> I, I said that in my first cookbook. I said, if anyone had looked into a crystal ball and told me what I would be doing as a career, I would have choked on two meatballs. And I mean that oh because gosh. I watched these women work so uh, hard every day and you know with italians when you're talking about food you're talking about abondanza you're not making one loaf of bread on a hot august day oh no you're making 12 because you're going to give right you're going to give these away they have to go to all your you know relatives and your friends and so that was that was the mindset was let's think big (laughs) (laughs) what does abondanza mean is that abundance big? a big you know, lots of stuff yeah oh, abundance an abundance of everything oh abundance i abundanza, love that yeah i like that word that's a good yeah. word to take away from the day you learn something new every day right, right, right. <laughs> fantastic so was it 
your whole family that was kind of getting involved with doing the cooking or had you kind of been handpicked by your Nona there to really kind of start absorbing these skills from her? I guess, yeah, how did that work? Yeah, I was kind of handpicked, yes. Uh, I was handpicked. And, uh, you know, I would, since I was the oldest of all my siblings, that's how that works. You know, you're the oldest, so you have to, you have to pitch in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really dreaded summer because summer was the time when everything was coming in, the tomatoes, the eggplant, all that. And And you had to put everything up. There's a story that I wrote in the book called Seasons in the Cellar. And I'm not kidding, because in the summertime, with bushels of tomatoes, you'd be in the basement, forget riding your bike or being outside playing tennis. You'd be skinning tomatoes and canning them and doing, you know, all the summer things that that were available at that time. So all of that was put into your your, uh, cellar because you had that then throughout the winter to sustain you until you could come to the next season when you could have fresh tomatoes again. My goodness. So where were these, were were you getting this produce from Italy or just locally there in New York? Oh, no, we were getting them from the backyard. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, we're growing. Yeah, we were growing these, these tomatoes. My father, who, remember that word abundanza? He didn't put two tomato plants. No, he put in a (laughs) hundred. So if you know anything about tomatoes and the yield of one tomato plant, you know that a hundred tomato plants is absolutely insane. But he would have, and he would grow plum tomatoes and salad tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, all these different varieties. Because again, you know, we had to give them away to all the relatives and the friends and all of that. And so I tell you in the book that you vegetable gardening is really a part of Italians DNA. Mm -hmm. It really is because no matter where you go in Italy, whether you're in a city or you're in the countryside, there's going to be a plot of land or there's going to be a pot on a balcony in Rome where you're going to see fig trees growing, olive trees, basil, even in squashed spaces where, you know, you, you couldn't even conceive of having a garden. Italians are very creative. And so they would do container gardening. So in this book, which I tell you is, you know, it's a cookbook, but it's also a simple gardening book. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, I realize that not everyone has a plot of land like I do with a huge garden plot. So I give you options. You can still cook from this book using vegetables, that you find at your farmer's market. You can find these vegetables in your grocery store. You can join a community uh, garden. Uh, You can grow in pots if you don't have uh, a lot of space. But even if none of those things appeal to you, you could still do all of the recipes in this book from vegetables that you would find in season in your grocery store. Well, that's amazing. And I think that that you were obviously, I mean, Italians, like you said, it's in your DNA. But here in America, just in my experience, kind of the focus and shift culturally to really caring about locally grown produce and farmers market and gardening, I would say in my experience, living here my whole life, it's really been sort of a recent trend where people really have more of an emphasis on that. But it seems like you know, in Italy and many other countries, that's just, it's always been that way. And so it's always always been that way. And you guys were basically had, it sounds like enough produce to be your own farmer's market back in the day, huh? That's right. And so I, you know, this book is timely just for the reason that you just mentioned, because people are more concerned about where is their food coming from? How is their food grown? 
what do we know about pesticides? So there's now a resurgence of wanting to really go back to the land, if you will. Mm -hmm. So this, this book is kind of taking you from dirt to dinner. You know, it tells you, you know, how you could plant vegetables if you wanted to. And then what do you do with these vegetables once you harvest them? So there, there's the, the theme of the book from the title, plant if you want to, harvest if you want to, cook. And you can do none of the first two and still do cook. Very cool. I love that. Because yeah, I mean, I lived in the city in New York City for quite a while. And where obviously, you know, not only do you not have land, you don't have inside space either. There, there's no, right. there's no space right. to be had. Um, but I, it's always fascinated me. And it is something that I've always kind of wished that I had the ability to do is kind of have more of that fresh, you know, locally, if not grown by myself produce. And I think it it has become a very cool hot thing to do here. And if I ever have the space, I would love to do it. But in the meantime, you know, farmers markets and all that stuff. What what do you recommend if you are in, you know, kind of more of an urban area where you don't necessarily have the, you know, the the, the space to grow anything, but say the, you know, farmers markets are it's winter and they're not really open anymore. What do you, how do you go about this as just kind of a normal person in the United States who doesn't have amazing access to all these things? Well, first of all, I would say, you know, you have to think differently than maybe you, than maybe how you think about food in general. So I always tell people, you have to eat in season. Mm-hmm. So if, if it's wintertime and, and you know, you, you can't have a garden outside or you don't have access to growing uh, vegetables, then think what is in season during the winter. So if you're going to the grocery store, don't buy tomatoes. Now, I, I know you're, you're in, a, in a hot climate and you mm-hmm. probably can get tomatoes, uh, you know, most of the year. But for most of us, that is not possible to get fresh tomato ripened, uh, you know, f- fruit because tomatoes are a fruit. So we're buying tomatoes in the winter when we really should be buying squashes and root yeah. vegetables. And those things that are in season and forget about tomatoes until the following summer when then they are fresh and they taste like a tomato. So think in season. And what I did with the book is I divided it into two sections, the early spring vegetables that you would grow in a garden or you would find in your grocery store or your farmer's market and the summer garden where you would find those hot weather crops like peppers, eggplant, tomatoes, zucchini, as opposed to the spring garden, which is going to yield you things like lettuces, spinach, uh, radishes, those kinds of plants that require a cool climate, as opposed to the vegetables I just mentioned that require a hot climate like the eggplant, tomatoes, and zucchini. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, I mean, fascinating. And this is probably me just picking your brain at this point versus interviewing you. But I've I've heard a lot of people talk about this for a while, just how important it is to really think seasonally and do that and live your life that way, just as far as nutrition and the way that these things grow and a multitude of reasons. But I've always wondered, so for example, I know obviously different fruits and vegetables have different levels of vitamins and nutrients. And, you know, you hear as someone who pays slight attention to what, you know, the health gurus are saying, for example, you know, berries being one of the more nutritionally packed powerhouses of fruit, 
but then berries are only in season for a certain amount of months of the year. So then if you're living in this way where you're only eating seasonally, and so, okay, I'm not, like you said, don't buy tomatoes in the winter. Do, mm-hmm. Does the nutrition profile then as as a human consuming change throughout the year? Or I guess I, that's what I've never been able to grapple with is, okay, I know that I'm supposed to be eating berries because that's what nutritionists say are really high in vitamins and whatnot, but they're not in season anymore. So is a banana going to cut it? I don't know. So how do you, I don't know if you have the answer. This is me just thinking out loud. How does that kind of work? Well, uh, again, I would say to you, think about what's in season during those months of the year when you're not getting those fresh fruits. For instance, right now in the fruit department, this book is not based on fruit, but I'll tell you, you should be eating things like pomegranates <laughs> because mm, yes. pomegranate seeds are full of antioxidants. You should be having citrus, all kinds of citrus. And where you are, I mean, that's citrus paradise, yeah, right? Of course. So oranges and grapefruits and and uh, tangerines and you know all those those citrusy types of fruit. Forget about those things that you crave in the summer, for instance, strawberries. Um, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but strawberries have over 44 pesticides on them. Do you really want to be eating those? I I don't think so. I do not eat strawberries for that reason. You have to make yourself an aware consumer. You need to know, you know, what is, as I said before about the pesticides, you need to know what are on these vegetables? What are, what is on these fruits that I'm consuming? And try to be, you know, as close to having an organic or a natural product as possible. For instance, in our garden, we use no pesticides, none whatsoever. And yeah, right. We have to deal with bugs and things like that, but we we take measures to kind of uh, minimize that. For instance, with basil, we always have a great crop of basil. And so for that, and for a lot of the other vegetables that are in the garden, we resort to something called row covers. Another name for it is reme. And a row cover is a gauze-like material that you that rain can go through and sunlight can go through, but bugs can't go through. And so oh. it, protects, it protects these plants from these, these little critters. These are ways, you know, little tricks and things that you can utilize to prevent this. Now, it, are you going to have a perfect garden? Of course not. I mean, it would be insane to think that we don't have, you know, a broccoli worm here or there. We do. But we take as many natural precautions as we can by using the reme or the row cover to kind of minimize that. Okay. So it's it's really kind of a full thing to think about all the time. And it sounds like you've pretty much lived your life that way without, you know, you were kind of raised that way. So does it become sort of second nature then in a sense? It does. But in this book, which I wrote during the pandemic, because we were not able to film our our shows oh, for okay. PBS because of the pandemic, I said, this is a perfect time to write this book because people were home, they were cooking. I had um, all of this information that I wanted to share because with the series Ciao Italia, which is seen on your public television station, each season we would dedicate two episodes to what's growing in the garden so that we would take people actually from dirt to dinner so that they would know well, what what does 
you know, what does a, a plum tomato really look like? Instead of, you know, going to the grocery store and you're, you're now buying things, you've got a half of a, a squash and you've got diced up uh, vegetables in a little bag. I mean, kids are growing up not knowing, you know, what, what a, a butternut squash looks like or what a whole right. watermelon looks like. You mm-hmm. know, this is sad. So um, the idea was to take people into the garden as a learning experience, show them how different things grow and then show them how you can cook with these things. Very cool. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So now you guys are back to filming, correct? We are back to filming. Uh, We have a new season that's out just since October, uh, our 30th season, which we filmed in a cooking school with a live audience. So that was something different for Chow Italia. That was a, a little, uh, you know, out of the ordinary that we usually do because we normally don't have a live audience. But we thought it would this would be an interesting way to involve people and to let the viewer at home know that these these uh, uh, people who were part of the program were actually cooking with us to show the rest of the people out there that you know you can do this too. It's not just Marianne cooking this. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's Joe and Lucy are here too. Okay. Well, I love that. And so you have 14 cookbooks, which is definitely the most cookbooks of anyone I've personally ever spoken to. And so I what I know writing a cookbook is a huge labor of love. And yeah. this is just something that you love to do just to kind of get I couldn't fathom in my wildest dreams having enough recipe ideas to write one cookbook, much less 14. So how is this possible? <laughs> well, it's possible because the subject of Italian regional food is endless. It's vast. Yeah. There are 20 regions of Italy. And, you know, after 30 years of promoting these shows and and dwelling on and focusing on Italian regional foods from these 20 regions, we have really just cracked the surface. So you, you could be writing cookbooks ad infinitum on this topic because Italian regional food is is so diverse so it's so varied and as I say it's so vast it's a huge library uh, of information and when I sit down to write a cookbook first of all I have to think to myself who is my audience and what do I want to say and of course you can only write what you know right so um, and when I write a cookbook it usually takes me 
about a couple years to do it because I do all of the prep work. I do all of the recipes, so I know they work. Um, I often do the food styling, and uh, and then I have a f- professional photographer do the do the photos. But along with the recipes in the book are stories that kind of uh, support these these recipes. So it's not just okay, you want to make uh, you want to make a three squash soup. Here's what you need, and you just list these ingredients and you go on to the next thing. No, there's usually a story associated with it, and it can be something that is uh, that I've experienced in Italy or with my grandmothers, uh, or that, you know, was something that I developed myself. So there's, there's a story woven throughout the cookbook. Very cool. Yeah. And I mean, just for you to have that level of knowledge and expertise on the subject is incredibly impressive. I mean, and even though you've been going, doing this work for, you know, 31 years now, but still just to have that breadth of knowledge throughout, you know, it sounds like different regions of Italy that you cover is just incredible. So that is super, super impressive. And what is, I know it's probably hard for you to pick a favorite, but is there like a certain favorite thing of yours to do that you, you know, it's your family's favorite that they always ask you for, or how do you even choose that? I'm not sure, but what is kind of like your, your swan song as it pertains to like an Italian recipe? Oh my gosh. Well, I would have to say it's it's pizza dough because I love working with doughs in general. And in this book, uh, I've showed you how you can make some very interesting regional pizzas, for instance. Uh, there's a recipe in the book for not only pizza, but focaccia. We do it. I did mm. a focaccia barese, which comes from Southern Italy, from Puglia, that has potatoes in the dough. It's, um, it's a yeasted dough, but it, it has potatoes in the dough. And uh, this is so uh, interesting because the potatoes create such a moistness uh, for this dough that it's uh, it's just a, it's a pleasure to work with the dough, number one. And also the taste of it is absolutely fabulous. Okay. Wow. I mean, I, I've only made focaccia once, but I love focaccia. Yeah. And I know that's probably as a home cook slash, you know, recipe developer myself, that's definitely the area that I've spent the most time developing my skill set is in baking breads and doughs because it's very it's it's scientific and it's very there's a lot of work that goes into that so it's kind of it says a lot that that's your favorite I can that means that I bet it's very very good I bet you make fantastic focaccia <laughs> I, I like to work with doughs and, and all kinds of doughs not just savory doughs but sweet doughs as well mm. like Christmas is coming so you know I'm I'm getting ready to make the panettones which are the classic yes. Italian uh, sweet breads for Christmas Yes. Well, it's kind of been sitting in the back of my mind since you brought this up. You said that you originally initially hated learning or, you know, being so hands on and doing all the cooking with your Nona and all of that, that it was not something you liked. When did that change for you? And now look at you now. I mean, it's literally your entire career. So how did that change for you? Well, it changed when I made my first trip to Italy. Um, Okay. I decided after I had done the uh, pilot program, for the local PBS station, I decided, well, you know, I've got to sharpen my skills some. So, I mean, I knew all that stuff from home, you know, with living with my uh, Neapolitan Nona, but I thought I've got to go to Italy. I've just got to go. So I did. I went and I went to uh, a cooking school in Sorrento and uh, I studied there for a while. And a lot of the things that were going on in, in those classes were things I already knew, you know, from home. Mm-hmm. So uh, this just kind of like bolstered my confidence. And, uh, and I came back with a lot of uh, inspiration from where I was in Italy. And then 
that kind of just the light bulb just kind of went on in my head. And I thought, wow, you know, I, I need to be exploring other areas of Italy as well. So then, I mean, I'm now probably have made my, I don't know, 60th or 70th trip to Italy. I've gone back. Are you serious? No, I, I'm not kidding. Twice a year. And I would stay in different uh, regions, working with chefs and different and home cooks as well. And a lot of these uh, episodes are part of the Chow Italia history so that you, you can find them online where mm-hmm. I, re- I re- recall so many of them, uh, women chefs, uh, all kinds of chefs from all over Italy that I worked with. And that you know, became like a library of information for me. So having, and then with doing all of that travel and being there, it was just, um, it, it, it was, it was just the, 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 the substance that I needed to help boost me onto the next level of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I just came back from Umbria three weeks ago. Uh, I took a group to Umbria to go truffle hunting Um, to learn about Umbrian olive oils, uh, to learn about the lentils of Castelluccio, which are the very famous creamy lentils of the area, so that I introduce people to the regional ingredients, and then I take them into an approved cooking school, a matriculating certificate cooking school, and I have them work with these ingredients with me. So they have a hands-on experience of what these classic dishes are from these different regions. Wow, that sounds absolutely amazing. And I, I'm just so floored that you've been able to get over there so many times. I mean, you do you speak fluent Italian after all of that? I would, and I guess with... Yes, I can speak Italian and, and uh, you know, I can't speak Sicilian dialect. That okay. is very difficult. That's a whole different language. That's a mishmash of everything. Yeah. So that's difficult, but Italian, yes. Very cool. So you are just like the Italian expert. And did it make your family super proud when you kind of started when you went to Italy that first time and made this shift and decided that, you know, you really were falling in love with this? What 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 did your grandma think? What did the rest of your family think? I would assume it made them happy. Yes, it did. You know, they were they were happy that I was kind of carrying on their traditions, which is, you know, what Italians do. They they want to pass things on. I'm sure it's true. It's true for you and your family as well. And as far as my immediate family, well, you know, my son, Chris, would always say to me every time I would make another trip to Italy, he says, Mom, you know, there are other places in the world to visit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I said I know, but I like going to Italy. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, doesn't I, I would go to Italy? Sounds like a good place to keep going back and forth to. My goodness! And is there? So you said your one grandma on the one side was Neapolitan. Yeah. So where I guess is there other regions that you specialize in, or do you kind of is it all encompassing through your work? Um, or I guess how does that work for you? I cover them all because, you know, I, I, I don't want people to think that Italian regional food is one-sided because when you ask people, well, what is Italian food? Mm-hmm. Invariably, they're going to tell you meatballs and spaghetti, which doesn't, right. ex- doesn't exist in Italy. I mean, you can have meatballs and you can have spaghetti, but you're not going to have them together. Um, right. You know, deep dish pizza, that doesn't exist. No. A perfect, perfect example of this is I took a group to Naples and I said to them, I said, now, look, I said, we're going to go to this pizzeria. And I th- I'm i going to suggest that you have the classics like the Margarita. That's the classic mm-hmm. pizza of Naples, right? 
Okay, so some people ordered the classic margarita, but there were a few people in the group, they wanted um, a pepperoni pizza. So I said, fine, go ahead and order one. So they did. And when it came, they looked at me and they said, this is not what I ordered. I said, yes, it is. You said you wanted a pepperoni pizza. Yes, but there, but there, where's this pepperoni? Where's the sausage? I said, wrong. Pepperoni in Italian means peppers. It doesn't mean, you know, some dried sausage that you're used to right. uh, in the States. So it's, those things are like learning experiences, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and so wherever we went in Italy, I would make sure that people got out of their U.S. Uh, mentality thinking about the foods of Italy as being the things that they always see and have at home and really enjoying what the real Italian food was. So yes. when, for instance, if they wanted bronzino, a broiled fish that has just a drizzle, extra virgin olive oil, squirt of lemon and some salt, fish comes to you whole, head and tail. It's clean. Yes. The innards are clean, but yeah, but because that's what a fish looks like, right? Mm-hmm. You put that in front of an American diner and they're, oh my God, the eyes, the yeah. eyes. <laughs> I can't do it. So they only get, you know, we only see the fillet part of the fish. We never see the whole fish. That's the beauty of Italian regional cooking. My goodness. Well, that, that's fascinating. And I'm, you know, obviously wanting to get to Italy now that we're talking about this. I've only been Let's once in it barely counted. I only have been to Milan. I was there for like 20, yeah. not even 24 hours. And I, I studied abroad in Paris. So I was yeah. bopping around all of Europe and just had a quick little jaunt and never really got to, it wasn't yeah. enough time, you know, to really see the different parts of Europe that I wanted to see. So I've been absolutely dying to get back over there. And I'm sure you are just the absolute expert on all things. I will for sure, as soon as I am able to plan my Italy trip, I will be coming to you for the recommendations (laughs) because I've never met anybody who knows so much about Italy. My goodness. That is crazy. Well, was there anything else important to add about your cookbook or your culinary journey or anything else that I have not asked you about yet? Oh, I think you're doing a, a very good job. I, I would just oh. say that this is a book for anyone, anyone who loves good food. It's a book that focuses not just on vegetables for vegetables sake, but the vegetables are used in different genre of cooking. For instance, there's recipes for anipasto, there's recipes for soup, there's recipes for meat, for fish, for salads, for casseroles, even for dessert in this book using vegetables. And of course, there's a section on herbs. So, um, you know, which is a big part of Italian regional cooking too, to use fresh herbs. So yes. it's, it's a, a user-friendly book. It has gorgeous photography. I hope people will pick it up. It would make a great holiday gift and buy one for you and one for somebody else and get in the kitchen and, and have fun. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a good time of year to be talking about books like that. And like we talked about just kind of the the relevance of how you know, how much people in America are loving this lately. So I think it's a very smart, um, you know, concept for your latest book venture and congratulations on it. I, I have it and it's beautiful. So I think, I mean, I, I can't wait to see the next ones. I'm sure you've got, <laughs> I, I, I would love to know if there's a record for who has written the most cookbooks, because I'm sure you're up there because that is just absolutely incredible. So congratulations on all of that. Oh, thank you, Alexa. Well, thank you so much for being here and chatting with me today. It's been 
absolutely a pleasure and super inspiring and informative. And it's just been lovely chatting with you. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I hope to, to meet you in Italy someday. I, I do too. Yeah, I'm going to, as soon as I have like the time and bandwidth to do it, I am going. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.